Hey, welcome back to Recovering Through Highness, and this is the third podcast in which we're going to explore the most innate desire of the human mind, which is to feel good and hopefully find that joy and happiness that we're all seeking. Now, I want to start this by talking about a type of thinking that was first introduced to me by a professor that I had, and her name was Dr. Ella Brandy. She has passed away, but left a mark on me that has inspired my desire to see the world differently. Some may have heard of Andrew Weil. Now, he wrote a book called The Natural Mind, and he identified himself in a tradition of what was called meticulous self-observation. And this was first represented by Sir Humphrey Davies' experiments in 1799 with laughing gas. Now, there's something that has developed within me that has transformed my drug use into something that was very powerful. And because of the pain and the anhedonic state that was correlated with my depression, I can truly understand happiness today in complete sobriety. People who daydream, public speakers, those that exercise, and people who hallucinate mildly just before sleep don't always realize that they are high. Andrew Weil defined two types of thinking, and I want to talk about these real quick. The first one he termed straight thinkers. Now, these are people that are attached to the senses and to the external reality that don't really allow for anything other than black and white approaches that are derived from yes or no, right or wrong, my way or the highway. It's an external pressure to isolate ourselves as we focus on the differences of others. And, then, and this is obviously where a lot of racism and hatred and political views clash with no attempt to understand. This type of thinking develops into a pessimistic view that keeps people stuck in an ugly world where tragedy is around every corner. An external reality that requires material possessions to define your self-worth, your self-esteem, and an image that develops into a person that isn't real. I teach on compulsive behaviors also as well as uh, substance abuse. And one of the things that I actually was recently talking about was with compulsive shoppers and hoarders. And compulsive shoppers and hoarders both define themselves and define their self-worth by what they have, not who they are. Now, happiness has been a desire for me, which brings us to a type of thinking that he identified as a stoned thinker. Black and white begins to blend into shades of gray, which allows for more options. And what I teach is as the father of freedom, choices. Once I see choices, I have a sense of freedom. These thinkers are driven by an intuition that's combined with the intellect to help bring people together by focusing on similarities and not just the differences. An internal drive that focuses on self-worth, self-esteem, that isn't driven by an external world of things, objects, and people. Jobs become a target to enjoy the world. No longer living to work, but instead working to live. An ambivalent understanding of things that brings solutions. Politics become an effort of minds instead of parties. Political parties work as a team that are based on compromise and based on discussions. Feelings become things that inspire instead of destroy. Passions become a motivator that's utilized for success. Highness is the result of their actions, and an altered state of consciousness is maintained by viewing the world through an internal excitement that induces the same exact neurotransmitters that we manipulated by drugs. This type of thinking will lead to happiness and a comfortable place in society. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This statement implies that life is eternal. Liberty is an inalienable right, but happiness can be pursued, but possibly never found. Why? Because most people seek happiness 
in an external world and not where it actually exists. And so I want to start this out by talking about some places that people search for happiness that they're never going to find it. The number one and most sought after place to find happiness is in money. Now, the interesting thing about money is that for those that are actually trying to find happiness within money, they are actually walking into the greatest destroyer of happiness, and that is fear. This isn't saying that you can't have a lot of money and be happy, because you can. Statistics have shown that poorer people are actually happier than richer people. And this is the reason why. When people believe that they are going to find happiness within money, and let's say they go to school, they straight-A student, they go to college, they go towards a PhD, an MD... Let's say they get the job, they're making an enormous amount of money. What do they want more of? Money. And since money is what's bringing them happiness, what do they want more of? Money. And they reach a place to where their very survival is based on money. Many people argue this when I teach this in group, and I will attest that there is one thing that money will bring. And there are various different qualities to happiness. And the one thing that money does bring is security. But that's about it. I talk about in my book, Pain, Failure, and Misery are the Stepping Stones to Success. I talk about an idea that could possibly be the antidote to fear, and that is appreciation. Appreciation is defined as the strongest outbound form of love. It's the idea of giving of everything and asking for nothing. Your mind cannot be in the state of fear and appreciation at the same time. So again, possibly appreciation is the antidote to fear. Now think about it. How many things in your life do you take for granted? I learned many years ago, and we don't all have to follow this, but as that saying goes, you never really know what you have until you lose it. What if we started appreciating things today? What if we were able to look at all the things that we do have and be grateful and appreciative. When I got out of custody back in 2003, I made a gratitude list, and my gratitude list was pages long. When you're coming out of custody, you start realizing how grateful you are to be able to use the bathroom with nobody else watching, how grateful and appreciative you are to be able to open a refrigerator door and grab your own food, how grateful and appreciative you are to be able to walk outside and feel the sun without them clanging the doors open to allow you to do it. So I learned appreciation and the power behind appreciation. And this is one of the main reasons why the studies have shown that poorer people are typically happier than richer people. When people go from having nothing to having something, they truly appreciate it. When people go from having everything to having everything, there's no difference. (laughs) So we've defined money as not bringing happiness. Again, you can have money and be happy, but again, it's all about how you look at it. The second most popular myth of happiness is pleasure. And this is what brings people into treatment programs and keeps them full. So we have come to a second quality of happiness, and that is pleasure. But pleasure and happiness are not the same thing. And as I do teach people that pleasure will never make you happy, and the reason being, and I think I said this in another one of the podcasts, the concept of adaptation level theory. And adaptation level theory says that any time that you give yourself something, like a drug, for an extended period of time, our body will adapt to it to where you will no longer get pleasure from it. So the drug user or the individuals that are trying to find pleasure through compulsive behaviors or other various different things will never find happiness through those things. One thing that people need to learn about pleasure is that we do need to learn to use pleasure as the dessert of life, not the meal of life. 
And when we're able to live that way, and this, uh, and one of the main ideas in these podcasts is highness, that if we do learn to use pleasure as a dessert of life and not the meal of life, we will be able to experience pleasure for the rest of our lives. But again, clean and sober is the only way that you're going to do this. The last myth that I want to talk about in happiness before we start discussing where you will find happiness, where you'll actually find it, is the myth that if I could just get rid of my past or if I could eliminate my past, then I would be happy. This idea is a Freudian concept. And Sigmund Freud believed that every single one of us metaphorically had a black box um, in our brains. And within this black box, we held all of our painful, horrible memories of our past. And he believed that if he could take the information out of this black box, then you could overcome or eliminate your past. Now, we know this is not the case. We know that everything that you've been through, everything you've seen, everything you've experienced is all up there. It's all in there. But there is something that we can do. And this is what I've done within my life is that I learned to transform my past. So I basically created new meanings out of this. I tell my clients, I tell my students all the time that in my drug use, I did horrible things. I did horrific things. There's nothing that I've ever done that makes me who I am. So I'm not my actions, but I am the one that has done those things, but I am not those things. But as a result of the things that I have done, some of the things that I did helped shape me. And they did lead me down a path to where I was able to utilize the pain, the failures, and the miseries, like I discuss in my book, to empower me. And again, nothing I've ever done has made me who I am, but it has helped shape me. And I love who I am today. I love who I am today. And that's how we can ultimately transform our past. Jody Barber, an individual that I was honored to meet, has uh, she's proven the power of transformation in one's life. Her son, Jared, he had overdosed on their couch at home and he was found deceased in the middle of the night. Now, as a result of his death, she made it a mission to speak out about the overprescribing of medications, which was where her son began his drug use. And she made two documentaries. She had made Overtaken and Overtaken 2, Where Are They Now? As a result of the death of her son, she has saved thousands of lives. And even more transforming idea is that Jared has saved thousands of lives with the assistance of his mother's voice. In a future podcast, I'm going to see if I can get Jody to join me and allow others to hear her story to reach out to families that are hurting behind the drug problem. So if money won't bring happiness, pleasure doesn't bring happiness, and eliminating trauma doesn't bring happiness, then where does happiness come from? Now, many believe that if I just had that job or I was able to marry that woman or that man, that I'd be happy. Is that possible? Can happiness come from other people? or other things. So let's see if that fits. Having a job that makes you money is usually related to financial security. Now, many want jobs for an external image, financial rewards with no passion and excitement that causes people to settle. And in a future podcast, I'm going to talk about the substance abuse industry and what had transpired with recommendations on what to look for when you're seeking a program. And I was able to learn firsthand about what it means to try and be right or the difference between doing what is right. I'm speaking about the importance of money versus my happiness, my morals, my values, and my integrity. For many years, I found enjoyment in my work that wasn't a result of money, but having a job that it didn't feel like a job. Something changed when I became an owner of a program. 
And I had a business partner who provided the funds for the endeavor that we were in. While I was the knowledge, I felt that I had a duty to bring in money so I could make him happy. My drive for money changed my perspective with my duties and my enjoyment turned to stress, turned to anxiety, and turned to fear, which I defined as the greatest destroyer of happiness. I needed to bring in money and, and that wasn't really what the problem was. And, you know, as we all know that it takes money to operate a business, but it was instead that fear which was driving me and caused me to lose my passion. Happiness will never come from a job. It'll never come from a relationship or an event, although it may seem to start that way, but as we've all experienced that happiness is short-lived if you're seeking it through external things, as we never will stay satisfied. Think about it. How many times do you remember as a kid that this dog's going to make me so happy and then you lose interest and your parents have to take care of the animal? This car will make me so happy and I'll keep it clean. But the excitement wears off and you begin taking it for granted and caring less and less and maintaining it. Happiness comes from within. And I warn people to think about their defining of happiness. This person makes me so happy. No, because nobody can make you feel anything and happiness is no different. You can be happy with this person, but they will never make you happy. So we've touched on three qualities of happy and that is love, but explained as appreciation, security, that is the only thing that money can assist with. And then we talked about freedom, which is derived from choices. Now I want to tell a quick story on freedom. The moment that I felt more freedom than I felt in my entire life up to that point, I was in custody. This was the first-hand proof that freedom doesn't come from anything external, but instead from within. Where did this come from? Well, I can tell you it came from responsibility. Once I realized that I was at fault and no longer blaming others, I truly understood the power behind my choices, which led me to where I was. Standing next to appreciation, we have gratitude. The stone thinker is optimistic. Now, I've had a lot of clients that dispute optimism because they define themselves as a realist. You could probably combine those words together as an optimistic realist because optimism is not about changing facts. This is solely about how you are viewing the facts. Do you have problems in life or do you have opportunities? Are dilemmas a tragedy or an excitement to step into the unknown? I like a quote by this guy. His name was Edward Teller. Now, he was the guy that was known as the father of the hydrogen bomb. <laughs> but his quote was, When you get to the end of all the light you know, and it's time to step into the darkness of the unknown, faith is knowing that one of two things shall happen. Either you will be given something solid to stand on, or you will be taught to fly. So based on the idea of the glass is half full or half empty, it isn't about discrediting the glass as half empty, but it's truly appreciating the glass as half full. So we now have love, a sense of freedom, optimism, and will now choose courage in the face of fear. I can't tell you how many times that I've had to push fear aside and hope for the best. When I had that program that I spoke of earlier, our focus was on alternative sentencing and I was able to speak at a meeting of judges about our program. This was probably the most uncomfortable nervous speech I ever gave. It was in a conference room with a huge table and was given just enough room to stand and speak to a group of people that are very skeptical intuitive and meticulous in their questions. My head was spinning as I was waiting outside to be called in. And when that moment arrived, I went for it. I remember a counselor I had many years earlier who said, and I hated the saying, all you need to do is suit up and show up. It made sense at that point, but what's the worst that could happen? What, they could laugh at me? So what? They could listen and decide that we weren't the right place and failed to get support. Who cares? 
I would just reevaluate my tactics. Nothing could destroy me. And I walked in with that attitude. I knew my information. And I didn't have to view them as naked, as everybody talks about. Another quality that we see in happy people are those that don't live at the mercy of chance. This may happen, or this might happen. Proactive people forge their own happiness. When choices are made, they ask themselves, will this really make me happy? Proactivity implies an interest to act and be a part of reaching goals, of reaching dreams, of passions. I can do anything I want if I'm willing to fight for it. Happy people aren't afraid of dying, but instead are concerned with not living, openness to new possibilities. Unhappy people, they tend to see things in black and white. They see them in absolute terms, and they often can't distinguish small problems from big ones. Happy people see shades of gray, like we talked about earlier, and they don't lose sight of the big picture during bad times. Happy people are able to see things on an individual basis. You know, they can wake up in the morning, they can bump their knee, they can spill their coffee, and they look at them as individual instances that have happened versus summing it up into, oh, this is a horrible bad day. Altruism. Unhappy people are often self-absorbed. Happy people know that giving to others connects you. It gives you a purpose. It gets you outside your own suffering and it can feel good. It can, it can help us reach that place of highness that we're seeking. So we've looked at perspective, humor. Humor involves a shift in perspective. It lifts suffering off the heart and it hands it to the intellect and the spirit, which can be healing. It doesn't deny reality, but provides a moment of abandonment. My wife and I, although we haven't really done it recently, we used to go to the comedy club all the time. We'd go there so we could laugh. We'd get high. Saw some comedians. By the end of the show, our stomachs hurt. We were crying laughing so hard. Happy people have a purpose. Happy people know why they're here on earth. They're doing what they're meant to do. If they died today, they would be satisfied with their lives. If you're unclear about your life purpose, start by identifying your core values and do your most to integrate them in your everyday life. The further away your life will be from them, the more miserable you'll be. We want to find a purpose, a sense of meaning. So happy people appreciate. Appreciation, again, is a form of love, the strongest outbound form of love. It's the idea of giving of everything and asking for nothing. They have a sense of security. They're optimistic. They view things in a positive light as opportunities, not as problems. They're courageous. They walk through fear. Happy people are proactive. They don't wait for happiness. Happy people are open to new possibilities. Happy people have a perspective, a healthy perspective on life, and they laugh. Happy people have a sense of humor. They're able to laugh at themselves. Happy people have a purpose. They know why they're here. They know what they're doing. They know where they're going. Another thing I haven't really spoke of that I do talk about when I teach on happiness is the power of language and words. We don't describe the world that we see. We see the world that we describe. So our perspective, our biases, our opinions, our feelings can alter the way that we see things. We don't describe the world we see, we see the world we describe. We've got to learn to love ourselves, care about ourselves. I'm going to do a podcast on self-esteem, which I think is extremely important. One of the things that I'm really trying to do through this is to offer ideas. Again, I'm not about solutions, I'm about ideas. I'd love to hear from people in terms of information that you hear on this. If you have feedback, if you have other ideas on happiness, on highness, and what we're trying to do here. we got to learn to love ourselves. I want to thank you for listening. And my email address is recoveryecosystem at gmail.com. 
please send me a message and join my podcast. Again, thanks for listening.